Hi everyone, and welcome to Leukemia Chatters. I'm Justin, the senior videographer here at Leukemia Care. On today's episode, I'm joined by Emma Sinclair, a CML patient diagnosed in October 2021. Emma, thank you so much for joining me today. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. So, October 2021, and you were diagnosed on the day of your 34th birthday. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> so, talk me through the lead up to that day then. What were you experiencing? What were you noticing? What were those symptoms that led up to your diagnosis? So, about kind of a month before, um, I was quite, I'm still quite active. Like, um, I was like a runner, so I was part of my local running group. Um, and I was just kind of out, I kind of run like a wee 10k as, as you were doing. And I was just finding myself, my legs were just getting really, really tired and fatigued. And I was just like, why am I stopping? Like, my legs were just kind of really heavy and just kind of, I was just kind of struggling. And I was just like, why am I struggling? I'm like, I think I've been used to like running up to like, half marathon distance and I can do like 10k and then I was just like something's not right so I was like maybe I'm just pushing myself too much so I was like I'll take it easy just start kind of resting um, more I'm kind of worth probably the worst person to be resting like people say you need to kind of slow down and what I'm doing but I was like no I need to kind of just kind of chill out and then maybe about a week after um, I started kind of getting these kind of night sweats and I was just like oh no, I hope I'm not with COVID because I was just like, this is horrible. And I was like, the pillow was just drenched in sweat. Um, and then kind of a couple of days later, um, I was at work and I was just like, I really don't feel well and my stomach was just like um, hurting. And I was just, I had like kind of like strepsils with me, but sitting at my desk and I was like, my boss was just like, go home, Emma. You're not kind of fit to be here. So I was like, I went home and then I was like, I'm going to take a wee COVID test just to check it's not COVID. And that was negative. And I was just like, no, it's not. And I was like, it's just probably viral. So I was just like, I'll just go and stay in my bed for a couple of days. And then for like that week, I was just floored. It was just like a viral infection that I had, which I thought that's what I thought it was. So I was just like, I was floored by this kind of viral infection, kept just taking covid test in case that was going to come up positive in case it was because it was covid was kind of rife and it's kind of october 2021 so i was like maybe it's covid i've got um but no i kept on testing negative and i was like it's not covid and i was like i just need to kind of just rest and make sure um i think it was about a week after that i was off on holiday for from work and then I was like, I'm not fit to go back to work. So I was like, I'm going to phone my, my GP. So I had to get a sick line. When I phoned to get a sick line, I asked them, they went through kind of my symptoms. They were still doing like the, the, the it wasn't, they weren't seeing people doing face-to-face consultations. So they just kind of went through kind of my symptoms and I explained to them at the time I had got a sore throat and it was like, they gave me a antiseptic, antiseptic throat spray. So, um, and some antibiotics. So they sent that to the pharmacy for collection. Um, and I wasn't kind of fit to do that. So my mum went and picked that up for me as long as well as my sick line. So basically when she went to pick that up towards the end of the day, um, I was kind of in the house. Um, my dad was in with me. And I think I just stood up from the couch to go get more water. And the next thing I was on the floor and I was just like, what happened there when I was just like I hit my head against like the fireplace and smashed kind of glass in that I mean, a big cut on my 
yeah, on my arm, I needed quite a wee bit of stitches. I think I've still got a wee scar um, from when I got the stitches and cut myself. But at the start, it was kind of my head and I was quite kind of bloody vision. And they thought maybe it was something to do with my brain that had happened. But no, I went when the ambulance kind of eventually turned up. I went to kind of for CT scans. Um, they kind of said, no, nah, you're brain's fine you can tell us absolutely everything that's happened I think you just kind of just banged your head and kind of hurt it um, just the way that you felt but I could literally tell them everything that had happened what was going on so I was kind of aware of everything so it wasn't in doing my brain um, and then I think just that night I was just kind of in the accident emergency um, ward back because they were just going to put me up to the ward to get more tests done um, so it was like my local hospital they don't have like a kind of critical care unit so it was like I think one of the consultants that came on saying no she needs to go to a critical care unit she's like seriously ill um, so it turned out I had like a stomach ulcer so they were trying to get the stomach ulcer under control and it wasn't until this consultant that came on from like they were on call they came in and looked at it going this girl's got like blood cancer we need to get her up to like the critical care unit at the, it was the Queen Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth Hospital like kind of straight away um, so they thought it was quite they thought at the start it was the AML that I had but the consultants that looked at it when I went up to the Queen Elizabeth they were like no this is just kind of a really kind of like rare case of chronic point leukemia um, but I kind of was I was delayed starting the medication like that matinib at the start because I wasn't keeping anything down and because I was my stomach also they, they wanted to get my bleeding under control first before they could start me on that. So I think I've, I've had kind of a month kind of less on the imatinib. So I'm still, I'm not at my target yet, but I'm still kind of, they're not too concerned about that because of where I started because I've had like one month less to the treatment um, starting, kicking, kicking, kicking things off for me. Wow. Thank you for sharing all that, Emma. I just want to jump back because your first suspicion and your first concern was that it was COVID. Yeah, that's what I thought it was. Um, so I was like, I've I managed to dodge COVID for like so far. And then I was like, I think it's caught. And I was like, maybe it's COVID because I was like, I think it was just kind of rife. Everybody was getting COVID around that. Everyone from my work, quite a lot of people from my work were all testing positive. And I was like, I've probably picked that up from somewhere. Um, so yeah, that's what I thought it was at the start. And you spoke about the symptoms you were experiencing at the time. The fatigue and the low energy levels and the night sweats. It sounds like they were the most surprising to you at the time. Yeah, because I, I wasn't sure what that was. I thought... I thought it was a temperature and I was like, no, it's not temperature. And I was like, what is that? Because it was like my pillow was just drained some sweat. And I was like, is it COVID? So I was just like, I've never had that before. But they're quite horrible things to have. And now the fatigue, the night sweats, the, the leg and joint pain when you were running. With the benefit of hindsight, these are some of the more common symptoms of leukaemia. Yeah, now you can look them back going, I don't know how I never picked up on that sooner. And you spoke about how you were being processed at your local hospital and someone mentioned blood cancer for the first time. Yeah, that was like that was like the one of the consultants that was on call. I think he was the one maybe kind of saved my life because he was like, we need to get her up to like critical care as soon as possible because she might kind of 
die. So like he literally, I remember him. He's like, don't worry. When he when he explained it to me, I was just lying in this bed, getting like blood pumped into me, going, what, what, what was happening? <laughs> I was just like, I don't know what's happening. And I was just like, right, you're going to get lighted up to hospital. And I was just like, right, the ambulance is coming for you just now. And I was just like, okay. And he's like, don't worry. I'm going to be right behind you. I can't come in. The, he can come in the ambulance with me at that time. It was just going to be a nurse. Um, but they said, um, I'll be right behind you in another car. So if you take on or anything in the ambulance, don't worry. Just say to the nurse and they'll pull over. And if I need to do resuscitation at the sides in the motorway. And I was just like, what? <laughs> What's happening? And I was just like, yeah, I was kind of freaking out. No, of course. And it sounds like things escalated so quickly there from that fall and the chain of events then that led up to your diagnosis. And when blood cancer was first mentioned to you then, what was going through your head? Did you have any prior knowledge of it? Did you know anything about it? I was just like, oh my God, I was lying in a hospital bed at the time and I was just like, I had like, I I was just kind of being sick quite a lot and I was just like, oh no, I'm gonna die. How long have I got left? I've only got like a couple hours left. I'm not lying in this hospital bed. I was like, I don't want to die. And I remember my mum was kind of, she came up and she was sitting. I was just like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. <laughs> no, I think that's a far more common reaction to that news than you'd expect. Yeah. Uh-huh. If people are uninformed about the nature of leukemia and the sometimes chronic nature of leukemia, then yeah. a lot yeah. of people think it might be an immediate death sentence. Yeah. And with your case, so you said that they initially suspected it was an acute leukemia. So when did you find out the actual chronic nature of your condition? I think it was just after like a couple of weeks I was in hospital and they were doing kind of other tests on me. And like they had kind of, I was seeing like different consultants was popping into the room every time and they were looking at my notes going, oh, never seen this before. And I just remember their faces when they were just kind of going through the notes going, this is really odd and I was like I've never seen kind of this before I think they were kind of surprised at how I presented it diagnosis as well so it was just I think it just took a while just to, for the consultants to go through it and just to kind of look through it and just rather kind of blood test and um, just realising that it's kind of just CML it's not EML that she's got it's just how I was at that kind of stage because I had like, a stomach ulcer they thought oh it's EML at the start but other kind of tests it took them a good kind of couple of weeks to go through that um, and I had to get like a bone bone marrow biopsy thing and I just the first one I couldn't remember and then I got another one when I was like an outpatient and then I felt it a wee bit and then I had my latest one about three four months ago I think I was nagging and I was like I could feel it even more and I was like that was the worst ever and I was like I think it's just because I knew what was happening. We've heard from patients and the slightly unpredictable nature of bone marrow biopsies so no we fully understand that and it sounds like then you were living for a few weeks there believing you had an acute leukemia and then they realized it was chronic yeah so how did they break that news to you and and what it would mean for you i think a lot at the start every time like a consultant was trying to come in and speak to me I just kept falling asleep when I was just like I think I was just kind of just too tired or just kind of in that stage and I was just like I couldn't really concentrate and take it in but they gave me kind of a wee blood cancer kind of book and quite a lot of kind of wee handouts and they said just when you kind of 
get a minute, you can read through it. I think it took me about, I had to read through the book about three times to actually understand what everything is. I've still got the view book and I've got the view books from the Premier Care that I think quite helpful as well. So I was like, I need to read through that again to understand because sometimes when I want to see my consultant, they start talking about something and I'm just like, what are you talking about? And I was like, explain it again for me. So sometimes I need to go through it and I need like refer to my book um, and I need to add notepad in because I'll forget because my mum was like what did the consultant say to you when you come out and I was just like I don't know so I've got my wee notepad now that I take in like my pen because I was just kind of just like everything just goes off my head. No that's a great idea especially when you're first diagnosed there's quite an overwhelming amount of information that you need to take on board so having that notepad and taking those notes and being able to look back at them after the fact I think it's probably a great way of managing that and and the terminology that's thrown at you in those early days. And it's really great to hear that the Leukaemia Care booklets could be of some use and some help to you in those early days. Yeah, I find them really, really helpful. Like, kind of, like, I think there's a couple that I've ordered and I've still got them. I've got them, got them in a wee kind of folder. So whenever I'm kind of needing for some kind of like clarification or something, I'll go and pull out my wee book and I'll have a wee read at it. And I'll sit in kind of night and go through it before I go to sleep. So it's kind of it's good kind of bedtime reading for me. No, it's it's great to hear that you have that resource to rely upon when you need it. It's fantastic to hear that. Leukemia Care's informational webinars are about the topics that matter to you, whether that be the current news in COVID, the latest developments in treatment, and much more. You can hear from patients and healthcare professionals alike, providing insight on all things leukemia. Watching it live even lets you post questions directly to those panels. Find out when our next webinar is scheduled by heading on over to our social media or our website. Or to watch those you've already missed, check out our YouTube channel. And you spoke earlier about how that initial treatment for the stomach ulcer delayed your commencing on imatinib. Yeah, I'm still on imatinib now, so I'm still on the same. Well, I was on 600 at the start, then... They had to reduce that to like 400 because I was getting quite a lot of sickness. And then they even reduced it further to like 300 and 200 when it was like over Christmas in 2021 because I had like an infection, a couple of infections that had built up. Um, and then they put it up again in like the new year last year, January. I think they are still keeping me on the 600 at the minute because that's keeping the leukemia sales at bay. Um, but my consultant does say that they're hoping that they will be able to reduce that maybe in the next kind of year or so back to like 400. But at the minute, it's still 600. Um, I still need to take like the, an anti-sickness tablet before um, I take my imatinib. Um, well, I don't know if I'll get any kind of nausea from it but I'm too scared to stop taking that in case I feel absolutely rubbish so I'm like I'm just they're kind of my wee safety blanket I'll take one before I take my matinib and after my breakfast in the morning. Has that been working for you then? Yeah it does um, I think I was originally they started doing me giving me the tablet at night time just before I went to bed but I was finding myself getting kind of I was waiting up in the middle of the night and being sick and even with the anti-sickness tablet, that wasn't keeping it down. So I think the morning kind of helps me a wee bit. And while we're talking about the day-to-day physical impact on yourself from your leukaemia, one of those initial symptoms you're experiencing that was 
the most noticeable was that fatigue and that tiredness. Yeah. Has that persisted till now? How have you learned to manage that? Has the imatinib helped with that? So it is. Some days, some days um, I do get kind of fatigued. It's mainly in the morning that I get more kind of fatigued. Um, and then later at night when I'm kind of just kind of tired and if I've had a busy day. But I've started kind of running again. I'm not at the level that I was at like post like two years ago. I, I came up my my memories a lot on Facebook. Like I was doing like eight ten miles this t- this time two years ago, and I was just like I can barely run like three miles or five k just now. But I'm just doing it at my own pace. I'm doing like more like walking, and then I'll run for like maybe a minute two minute, and then I'll take it back to walking, and I'm just going to try to build it back up. But um just gradually because I know it's probably going to take me a long time to get back to where I was at um, but just built it up kind of gradually from there but I find um, I'm back at working like three days in the office and two days at home so when I um, what I've done like, after like, I've been at work I do think that helps me because I'm like I can go home and, and sit in the couch and then I'll feel worse because I'm just sitting there but when I go actually out and actually exercise, I get a bit of fresh air, I feel a lot better, and then I sleep better as well at night after I've done something. So it's only like 30 minutes that I went and did like a quick kind of walk or jog. I feel a lot better for it when I kind of add that exercise in and do something. No, that's great to hear. Obviously, exercise was an important part of your life prior to diagnosis. So the fact that you're building that back up and heading back in that direction is fantastic. And you touched on your working life there. So how did your diagnosis impact your work and your career? So um, I'm back at work. I'm doing like three days in the office and two days at home. Um, I think that's kind of my limit of where I'm at at the minute. I don't think I can get back to full time. I'm pretty much doing near enough like full time hours, although I don't start about half nine, quarter to ten but I work right to five o'clock. I think just that extra half an hour in my bed in the morning does kind of help me. Um, so I get kind of, I try to space my days out. Like, so if I'm at home today, I'll be in the office tomorrow. So it means I'm not kind of back to back days in the office. Or, um, I did do like three days in the office, like about three months ago. And I was just, I felt really, really kind of struggling like after the end of that three days and I was like I can't do that again I need to kind of listen to my body I know that um, it's probably better like, at home the um, other two days and if I can space them out I can I think it's easier for me um, my, my employer that is really really understanding with me and they will um, kind of accommodate and as long as I can just kind of let them know in advance when I'm going to be in and when I'm not going to be in so my job, I'm like I'm working HR, so I can do my job from home anyway. So um, I'm always kind of available via kind of like MS Teams or um, Zoom if anyone wants to get phone me um, or they can phone me via my mobile um, or they can get me via email. So I'm always kind of available. So um, there's always going to be someone like available either at home for them or if there's someone in the office they can kind of speak to. That is fantastic to hear that your employer has been so accommodating and so accepting of your needs as a CML patient then, because managing that fatigue and managing your CML alongside your work is, is vital. I'm curious, 
did they know anything about CML before? No, I think it's kind of just kind of out of the blue. Um, they don't really kind of, a lot of people don't kind of understand when you say to them, you've got CML, I'm like, what's that? But when you speak to just about like CML, um, one of the girls that I, I used to, I'm not a member of the gym anymore, but I used to be a member of the gym prior to my diagnosis. And one of the girls, like her partner, she, he's got like CML and he's had it like for kind of years so it's good kind of good to know that um, they've had it kind of for years and they're still kind of here and just getting on with things and they, they, she said I, I do ask her kind of questions a lot and she said um, yeah so he gets his bad days good and bad days like me he gets his two tired days but he just learned to live with it. Have you found that useful then to be able to chat to someone who's further down the line than you? Yeah, it, it is really, really useful. Um, they are a lot older than me, so I think CML is more common in like older kind of men. And he's had it for like two years, like years kind of not two years. I think over like twenty years. So they they have kind of been able to cope with it. Um, and just the fatigue levels. I think they know when to kind of rest. Just and look, just listen to your body. Just when um, just when you need to get that extra rest. No, you're right. Being able to chat to someone who's been living with CML for the best part of 20 years now must be such an invaluable source of information and comfort for you. Yeah, it is. It's quite comforting, comforting as well like, to know that um, that they're still here after kind of, like, all this time. And in this vein of patient-to-patient support, I know you've most recently joined our buddy scheme at Leukemia Care. Yeah. The scheme functions very similarly to the relationship you've been describing. It's about pairing two patients up, one who's been diagnosed for much longer, and being able to provide that first-hand experience and learned wisdom and kind of help with that management of living with the leukemia. So how have you found it so far? Yeah, that is really good. I've got a week keep in contact then with it's a buddy that I've got and we just kinda keep regular in contact like via WhatsApp and we'll talk every so often. Um but it's good to find out where they are at and where I'm at. I think I think the first kind of conversation I had I was just kind of firing questions there going, um and did did this happen at the start, did this happen? Then she's they're at a different kind of stage. So it's just quite it's really, really good to find out what they kind of went through, how they get diagnosed, what they're currently doing going through at the moment what their kind of levels are at um, and it's good like she kind of just kind of reassures me and says like things will fluctuate your levels will go up and down that's completely normal don't get to kind of um, put put down by it if you go one month and your levels are good then the next time there could be a wee increase don't kind of be worried at that that's kind of completely normal that's great to hear that you've been able to ask those questions and get that information because you're in quite the rare position where I think you know someone in your day-to-day life who has the same subtype of leukemia as yourself. So for other patients, the scheme can really function as that first-hand account of information and, and support really from another patient. Yeah. So to other patients out there then, why would you recommend they get involved with the Leukemia Care Buddy Scheme? Yeah, I definitely would recommend it. So um, if you're kind of struggling, if you've just been diagnosed, like myself, um, even just diagnosed like 
last kind of six or 12 months um, and you've got kind of a lot of questions, then I'd recommend everyone to get in touch and with Leukemia Care and find out um, if there is someone that can be matched with because there is someone that's probably going to be going through the same thing as you. Like there's, you've, everyone's like different, I suppose. Like there's no one that's on like the exact same kind of journey. You'll all have different journeys, but obviously, if there is someone like out there, like um, that could be kind of as matched closely to you as possible, and um, there will be someone that's kind of had kind of the same maybe not the same experience, but they're on the same tablet or um, TKI, then get in touch. And I think it's going to be, it'll be a beneficial thing for um, them to do. No, you're right. No two experiences with a leukaemia diagnosis are identical. But there are everyday problems, more kind of common concerns that come with a leukaemia diagnosis, be that managing the side effects for a TKI, dealing with fatigue, employers, ideas that we've touched on already, and being able to have that first-hand account and learned experience can be invaluable. So it's great to hear that you've had a positive experience with the buddy scheme so far, and I look forward to hearing how you move forward with that as well. What are you planning to achieve this year? Does it include free-falling from 15,000 feet? Maybe flying on a zip wire is more your thing. Join Team LC this year, raising vital funds as well as your pulse rate. We'll support you all the way in raising the money. The question is, are you brave enough to take on the challenge? Simply search online for Leukemia Care Zipwire or Leukemia Care Skydive to find out more. And in keeping with this theme of the impact of your diagnosis on yourself for the last 15 months, what would you say the impact has been on your mental health? Yeah, I think I was struggling maybe the kind of the end of kind of last year so that's when I reached out and I was like I think I found out I was on I'm on like the CML group this a support group on Facebook and it's like just patients from like the UK and they suggested leukemia care actually have this counselling fund I never knew about that fund until someone kind of pointed it out to me so I went on the website and I did kind of wee kind of read and I thought I'll make a wee inquiry to see um, if I could, if I, if I could, if I'm eligible for it, if I can apply. Um, so I think someone got back to me like straight away and they said, that, yeah, we can fund like six counselling sessions for you. So I thought, right, that's great. So they just asked me just to provide me with a wee link just to let counsellors and I could just search from my local area. I was like, I didn't realise I had to go and find like, a counsellor, but obviously... I don't think they do that for you. It's like, oh, I've never actually done anything like that before, like counselling, so I never knew what to do. So I was just like, they were quite good. Um, so I was just kind of having a look through. I had to, I think I contacted a couple of people and they said they didn't have any availability until early 2023. And I was like, I think that was too late, too long to wait. So I was like, I'll go and have a look. To, and I'll have a, I did through a couple of other counsellors to see. Um, I managed to get someone who's just like kind of local to me. She's about 20 minutes away. Um, although she's like 20 minutes away, we, we agreed to do the sessions on Zoom because um, I was like, it was kind of late at night and I was like, I'm going to go home. That means I can do the sessions from my home. Um, and also, um, I didn't need to kind of travel kind of when I've, if I've just been at work in the day and I had to go back out the house. So we kind of arranged to do it via Zoom and that kind of worked well for us. Um, and I think the counselling session, so I did that around about October, November 
last year. So just over a year after my diagnosis. And I think I just felt kind of, I felt really emotional. Just, I think everything from what I had been through just had hit me. That what I had been through, that I've got kind of CML, I've got this kind of life-changing disorder that I need to live with. Everything that I've been through, like, just kind of get, kept getting flashbacks just from like my hospital stay and just from being told you've got blood cancer. It just kind of just hit me. And then I was, I find myself in work getting quite emotional. So I was like, I think I need to speak to someone. So I was like, right, where do I start? So I did want to, I'm glad that I found someone local that I didn't know. But rather than finding like, a counsellor from like England that I could speak to. Um, so it was really, really good kind of reaching out to someone and just having that kind of one-to-one. It was like our sessions we done. Um, and she went through with me. She had like a, like, kind of, we kind of checklist, a wee handbook that she went through with me. She asked me questions and she did some meditation techniques as well with me, which I still kind of use. Um, to kind of centre me and just kind of relax me when I'm getting kind of overwhelmed just to kind of be kind to myself and just get myself kind of talking to when if something's not too urgent like I'm always kind of important so don't put myself kind of down so that was kind of good having that kind of support from like the counsellor so I found that the counselling fund really really kind of worthwhile it is kind of is a lot for like counselling because when I was looking through like prices and I was like oh I don't know how I can afford kind of counselling but it's good that you have kind of that counselling fund for like patients to go through. No that's great to hear that you managed to access that counselling and find the help you were looking for. If you were speaking to other patients now why would you recommend that they should look for support for their mental health? So if you are kind of they are struggling then it is kind of better that you speak to someone rather than bottling everything up so yeah so yeah do that fund is there for you so it's because it's for you as a patient so please use that and get in touch and use kind of the services that um that are provided for you because they will kind of help you in the long term emma thank you so much for sharing your story with us today finally I'll ask if you had a piece of advice to give to a patient who was recently diagnosed with a leukemia, what would it be? So don't panic. There is lots of um, help and support out there. Um, take it each day as it comes. And yeah, just be kind to yourself and just you can get through it. Don't, don't think you're going to die if you're not going to die. You've got a lot more to live. You've got a lot more life to live. A great piece of advice. Thank you for that, Emma. And thank you for speaking with me today. No, it's okay, yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leukemia Chatters. For more information or support from Leukemia Care, head on over to our website at leukemiacare.org.uk or call our helpline on 080 88 010 Four, four, four. See you next time.